Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tracy Sandler Show on Believe, brought to you by FIVO. We are wrapping up week 13 of the NFL on the day we're recording this. It is Monday, so it's before Monday Night Football, but we're wrapping up week 13, heading into week 14, which I really can't believe that that has happened so fast. And I am so excited today to have the incredible Amy Trask on the podcast. Amy, welcome. Tracy, it is an honor. to join you. I am absolutely delighted to do so. I have watched your career explode, and I use the word explode in the very se- the very best sense. I'm a fan of your work. More importantly, I'm a fan of yours. I am thrilled to join you, and I want to wholeheartedly concur with you. How the heck did it get to be week 14? By the way, how the heck did it get to be December? I don't know. I, re- I really don't understand how this happened. I mean, I still feel like, I mean, I can remember the first day of, of showing up to training camp and them telling us we're going to be testing you every week for COVID. And these guys are on the COVID list. These guys, are, and that was July. And it feels to me like yesterday, which feels also like a cliche thing to say, but it's true. I can remember it all so well. And here we are recording this on December 6th. I just, I don't know what happened. Right. And, and by the way, I think the reason that it's a cliche is because it is so often true that we say, wait, 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 how did it get to be this time of year? But here we are, and it is week 14, and, and I just can't, well, we're going into week 14 after tonight, and um, wow. Yeah, so much discussed, and something that has come up on this podcast a few times over the last few weeks, which is interesting. The podcast is pretty new, and this keeps coming up, so I think it says a lot. It's such an interesting NFL season to me because it feels like there is as much parity in the league, at least as I can remember in in recent memory, you have a couple really, really good teams. And then you have a lot of teams that are pretty much in the middle and it's a play here or a play there that has made a difference in their record. And it's made the playoff picture very interesting at this point. Agreed, 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 wholeheartedly agreed in every regard with everything you just said. Um, It does feel and I believe it is the most parity we've seen in the league in umpteen years, maybe ever. And I had the opportunity to ask Bill Cower, Coach Cower, now Pro Football Hall of Fame Coach mm-hmm. Cower, this on our CBS Sports Network show a couple of weeks ago, because I wanted to check with him to see if his sense was the same as mine and as yours, that we are seeing unparalleled parity. And he weighed in with very, very similar thoughts. And Tracy, I will tell you, parity is the goal of the league. Mm -hmm. I spent almost 30 years attending NFL owners meetings and umpteen times throughout those years, that was a topic of discussion. The league desire is for parity. Now, not everyone in the room agreed with that. I worked for a team owner, Al Davis, who wasn't a fan of parity. He wanted domination. He wanted Mm -hmm. dominant teams. And I used to laugh at him and make fun of him and say, no, 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 no. You only want that if we're the dominant team. You don't want that in general. And he kind of had to smile. But for the most part, everyone involved with the league is in favor of parity because what that means is that on any given game day, any given fan believes that his or her team can win any given game. And every fan goes into every season 
with the hope and the belief that, wow, maybe this can be our year. We all have a chance. And Trace, I I will add one more thing before I turn this back over to you. I apologize for going on at such length, but you really struck a chord with me with your insights. I agree with them in their entirety. Every year I was in the league, I used to throw a party for staff right after the Super Bowl. And when I say throw a party, I think we all know what I mean. It was an ice cream sundae party. Of course. And I would have all the staff who were available in the building come into the big conference room, giant ice cream sundae party set up. And my comment was happy new year. Because the day after Super Bowl, every single team goes back to zero and zero. And the hope and the belief and the goal of parity is that every fan of every team believes that his or her team has a chance You've started at zero. Let's do it again. Well, the, what is the best phrase for any fan is there's always next season. And that's, that's, <laughs> what, keeps, that's what keeps you coming. I mean, really, when you think about it, that's what, that's what keeps fans coming back. And, and that's the beauty of it. Well, I'm going to start with uh, the team that is closest to my heart and actually really just closest to me because I see them every day. When you talk about any team on any given Sunday, we saw yesterday the 49ers on a hot streak, march into Seattle, playing a team that was three and eight, playing a team that at the time they had lost 16 of 19 games to, and everybody feeling like, finally, finally, they're going to beat the Seahawks. They beat them in December of 2019 on, on the game that really mattered. But finally, this is going to be the time the tide is turning. And of course, they end up losing. And I think that game, and first of all, when the 49ers and Seahawks play each other, really anything can happen. It's kind of unbelievable just how weird those games go. But that game to me really sums up the idea of any given Sunday. You had a 49ers team who hadn't been turning the ball over, who'd been super efficient on third down, who'd been playing great defense, just kind of, I mean, combust for lack of a better term. And then you have a, it had a Seahawks team who could get nothing going anywhere the last several weeks. And all of a sudden, Russell Wilson is, is back to Russell Wilson. And I think that game just kind of summed that all up. Well, and look, a division rivalry. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we know, division rivalries, you know, they're just different than non-divisional games. The teams know one another. Um, there's extra oomph and emotion often with respect to division rivalries. You know, even when you see it when a team um, with absolutely no chance whatsoever for the playoffs, when we see down the road in many seasons, has an opportunity to zing a division rival who's heading for the playoffs, you know, there's nothing a team likes better than to knock a division rival. Now, look, San Francisco still is in play for the playoffs, as is Seattle. But I think the fact that it was a divisional rivalry played into it. And I also believe the Niners ran into a predictable buzzsaw only in the following sense. Seattle was under fire and they had everything extra to prove coming out of the game since Russell had returned from the injury. So I felt that a home game, there's going to be extra oomph to that divisional rival at home coming off some rough, rough outings. Seattle was ready to go and and the Niners ran into that. They did. And they, and I think they knew that was coming and they just, there was really nothing they could do to stop it. And you're right. These divisional games, especially between these two. Now, granted, I'm closest to these two, so that it probably skews my my vision a little bit. But these divisional games, literally anything can happen. I also have to say I really appreciate that you used the word oomph because last year 
in a pre Zoom press conference, I asked Kyle, Kyle Shanahan a question and used the word oomph in my question. And one of my colleagues texted me and said, did you just use the word oomph in a question? And I was like, absolutely. I don't really know how else to say that. And so, there, you know what? Someone else did it a week later. You know what? There is so much I respect and admire and adore about you. And now I'm going to add to that long list, the fact that you used oomph. And I want to share with you that yesterday on that other pregame show, mm -hmm on CBS Sports Network, not only did I use oomph twice in describing a matchup, I had to explain and was glad to explain, thrilled to explain to my teammates, Jonathan Jones and London Fletcher, how to spell oomph. I spell it O-O-M-P-H. One yeah. of them wanted to use an F, like O-O-M-F, and I said, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. And one of them wanted to use oomph, U-M-P-H, and I said, no, 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 no. So Tracy, I love the fact that we both use oomph. Well, I, it, it really sums it right up. I mean, it, right. there's no better word when you for what you're trying to say when you use oomph. So I really appreciate that. And so that just really made me happy and made my day um, after that, that awful loss that I had to witness yesterday. Though I will say, quite an entertaining football game. Quite well, you are you are very um, gracious and grown up to endure a loss and describe it as quite a good football game. I mean, um, really the, that, that that was impressive. I think that I know it got flexed out of Sunday Night Football, but as it turns out, it it was a much better game than right than the Sunday Night Football game. Which I guess we will come back to the NFC. But as long as I bring up Sunday Night Football, let's talk about Sunday Night Football. And I'm going to start first by saying. When we talk about parity in the league, and granted, of course, the Patriots will play tonight as we're recording this, but as it stands at this moment, the top four playoff teams in the AFC are eight and four, which I think just sums up everything you know we said at the beginning. But you have the Chiefs, who had a rough go in the middle, uh, who did not play a perfect football game yesterday by any means, but it does feel that the Chiefs are, are back on the train, so to speak. I always thought it would simply be a matter of time until that happened. I mean, we all saw their struggles coming out to start the season. Uh, you know, when we lost the Super Bowl, Andrea Kramer, then of, I believe, of ESPN at the time, but now with the NFL Network and HBO, um, she said to me as we went into the next season coming off a Super Bowl loss, how are you going to manage the Super Bowl loss hangover? Mm -hmm. And I scoffed at her and I said, oh, Andrea, that's, that's just, you know... I don't buy into that. That's urban legend. No, no, no. That's not going to happen. I don't even think that's a real thing. I mean, I really scoffed at the concept of that Super Bowl loss hangover. But you know what? We experienced it. So, you know, my sense as we started out this season was that Kansas City was experiencing that as well. It's just, I never doubted that they would turn this season around and they would get moving. I didn't know how long it would take. I didn't think it would take as long, but I have tremendous confidence in Andy Reid. I think he's a phenomenal head coach, Eric Bieniemy as an offensive coordinator, and of course, Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback. I knew they'd figure it out. They still haven't totally figured it out offensively, but they sure are playing defense a lot better than they were to start the season. And I have a question for you as, as someone who obviously what was at a team who, who essentially ran a football team, that Broncos drive, that was like a gazillion plays. And then on fourth down, they can't get it done. I mean, is there uh, anything more deflating? Is that when that happens in a game, is it basically like, does it just take everything? Does it take all the oomph? Is the oomph gone for the, rest of the game and you can't recover? Um, you know, I would use two words to describe it. Um, deflating, which you use, 
but also just, well, I guess I'll use two more frustrating, like, oh, just, it's so, I, I, I might even say frustrating more than deflating. Mm-hmm. And there were times I would even say infuriating, but if you were to force me to pick as between deflating, frustrating and infuriating, I, I would ask that I could use them all, but yeah. I would pick frustrating because you know, you're, you know, so close, but yet so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you just sit there knowing, I don't know how many more chances we're going to have to do this. You got to seize the moment. And we didn't seize the moment. Um, it is definitely a, a, a big moment in a game when you can't get that done. I imagine Broncos fans, and I don't want to spend too much time on the Broncos because they're kind of going nowhere fast at the moment. And there are so many other things to get to, but I just, Look at that fan base. And I imagine to use one of your words, it's got to be really frustrating because there's a fan base that I think every year legitimately feels like this could be it. And every year it just is so not. And I just, they can't seem to get it together. I find it fascinating. They've made some um, poor choices. And look, it's always easy to say in retrospect, of course, that something is a poor choice. Um, nobody goes into a decision as to who to draft, who to start at quarterback, what direction to go at quarterback. And that those are the choices I'm referencing. Yeah. Nobody goes in thinking they're poor choices. You're, of course, making the choice you believe is best, but they have had uncertainty at that position for a while. I said at the beginning of this season, I was and I am and I shall always remain rooting and cheering for Teddy Bridgewater mm-hmm. after what he went through in the league. Um, I would love to see him succeed. I don't think he's in the best position to do so right now, given other things going on with the organization. Um, but they, they've made some head-scratching decisions over the past number of years. I have a question, and this is not something I really plan to talk about, but when you just said that about Teddy Bridgewater, and I agree, and I, I'm such a fan of his and root for him, and agree he's not in the best position. And it... I hope I'm going to phrase this correctly, but it just made me think, you know, there are certain players that you see in difficult positions throughout their careers. And, you know, how much does that, does that play in and how, for lack of a better term, kind of unfair is it? Like I think of like a Josh Rosen for inch, for instance, like did great he example, chance, you know, was there great example. Shot? And then we see um, Matthew Stafford and what he's doing in LA. So obviously I want you to, to speak on this, but those are just things that have come to mind. Oh, I, you know, the whole time you were talking about the, the the places these players go and the impact it can have, I'm nodding and nodding and nodding. And I should say right now to all of your fans, how much I appreciate you letting me do this by audio only, not by video. And I note that because you could not see that I was nodding and nodding and nodding. <laughs> and so everyone knows the only reason I am doing this audio only is Tracy was gracious enough to allow me to do so. I wanted my sound quality to be as good as it could be for Tracy. I'm such a fan of your work. I didn't want the construction that DWP is doing right outside our house to impact the recording. So I'm in a closet right now and we'll just leave it at that. Um, So thank you again for the, you can do it from your closet by, by audio only accommodation. So you couldn't see me nodding and nodding and nodding. Um, you're right. Where a player goes is so important. I stopped counting at some point with respect to Josh Rosen. How many offensive coordinators, how many head coaches, how many different systems in which he was playing, you know, constantly, and that impacts a career as well. He was never well situated to succeed. Do we know 
if and to what extent he would have succeeded had he gone to an organization with tremendous stability, had he been better positioned to succeed, had he not had to play for umpteen head coaches, offensive coordinators, different systems. No, of course we can't control for the variables and, and we don't know the answer. But I do know this, I believe this strongly, he wasn't best positioned to succeed. Mm-hmm. And that's not unique to Josh. Look, the way the draft is designed, unless there is a trade, the teams drafting the most highly regarded quarterbacks, the teams that are drafting the quarterbacks that are considered the very best coming out of college are the teams with the worst records the year before. Mm -hmm. And in most regards, those teams aren't looking to fill only the quarterback position. There are a lot of other holes on the roster. There may be questions at the coaching level, head coach, coordinators, otherwise. So you're taking the players who are presumably, certainly reputedly the best quarterbacks, and you're putting them in organizations with a lot of needs most often, again, unless there's a trade. So that clearly impacts the ability of those quarterbacks to succeed. The other thing I will note is that the best coaches are the ones who best position their players to be their best. And that's why I think sometimes we see quarterbacks given a much, much better chance to succeed in some organizations than in others. Look what Bill Belichick is doing for Mac Jones. I think he's now won his Going into tonight, I think the number is six straight games as a rookie quarterback. And yes, 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 I understand what you know New England's defense is doing. Number one in terms of points given up per game. Number one in you know interceptions. So yes, it's not all Mac Jones certainly, but what Bill is doing is best positioning Mac to be his best. And that brings up a great point. And it's funny people will say a lot. Well, you know historically quarterbacks drafted high don't end up doing as well. Well, that's probably exactly for the reason you just said. So you look at like a Matthew Stafford and he spent all those years with the Lions. And I still think the jury is a little bit still out. Um, But obviously we saw him off to a very strong start with the Rams. Had a little bit of a skid. Seems to have at least got back on track. The Jaguars are great (laughs) getting back on track. I hate to say it. I'm sorry, Jacksonville, but if there was ever a team that can get their opponent back on track, it is in fact the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, you know, I think that there is a big part of that. And Kyle Shanahan said several weeks ago that your best coaches are the ones who can get their A players to perform like A players week after week. And that it's easier actually to get a C player to perform like a B player, which I thought was was really interesting. And this was in the midst of their losing streak and their A players were not performing. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. And it kind of goes to what you say, your best coaches put your players in the best position. So when you have an A player, knowing how to make them play like an A. Well, on a tangent, although not really a tangent, but as an aside, I just want to note that I agree with you on Stafford. Uh, I think the jury's still out as well. And, you know, when the trade was made from Detroit to Los Angeles, you know, living here, you know, I live in Los Angeles and living here, you know, the hoopla and the, the, it just was off the charts. And I thought, you know, okay, we'll see. We'll see how much of what went on in Detroit was simply Detroit related as opposed to Detroit and Stafford related. Look, certainly he's a good quarterback. There's no doubt about that. He's good. But I wasn't ready and I'm still not ready to throw him in the the level or place him at the level that many others do. In other words, you said it far more gracious, gracefully and succinctly. Jury's still out in my mind as well. Um, 
And that's an interesting point you referenced about Kyle, you know, about the A players versus the B and C players and one to which I will give thought, but boy, oh boy, you are right. If you can't get yourself straight against the Jaguars. <laughs> um, <laughs> yikes. I hate to say it. Yikes. Um, but even though I have very mixed feelings about Urban Meyer as a, as a Michigan fan, so I don't hate to say it all that much, but <laughs> I do hate to say it. But, you know, you look at Trevor Lawrence, like this was the best quarterback coming into the draft. And if this, if they're going to stay on this trajectory and yeah. maybe they won't, and I know it's only year one, but there is, I'm going to go back again to Shanahan and I apologize, but that is obviously the, the team I'm around the most, you know, that first year when the 49ers were 0 and nine, the mood was not one of defeat and frustration. I mean, the mood was one of, it's a rebuild. It's the, the re tool we've bought it. You know, it was just like in a different kind of mood. And those were of course the days where we could be in the locker room and it just was different. I'm certainly not around the Jaguars except for one Sunday, a few weeks ago. And I'm, I'm certainly not in that locker room, but it doesn't feel that way, at least from the outside. And that to me, I think is a big difference. So, you know, you look at a Trevor Lawrence and who knows how good he is. And I hope we get to find out because it also is a hard thing to put players in a position where maybe they don't get to have the careers they were supposed to have because of where they end up. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Uh, so kind of not in that vein at all, except that we brought up Detroit. So that's how I'm going to segue into this next conversation. So, you know, I can find a non sequitur any, anywhere I, I need to. Uh, it's a skill. What? It is a, <laughs> that's a, skill. a skill. It is a skill <laughs> or it's just something that I do. Uh, Detroit got its first win on Sunday against the Vikings. It was a, an emotional win. Obviously the, everything that went on in Michigan this week away from football was really difficult. And I know that was a big win for the team. It, it was a big win for the state. And I think that is, is awesome and, and was really lovely to see. And I think you saw in that locker room, a group of guys who potentially have bought in and maybe there is a chance for the lions to do great things in the years to come. But for now, they're obviously having a very tough season because they got their first win in week 13. But they, the, a team that might be having a tougher season, especially today, is the Minnesota Vikings, who lost to the Lions, who are fighting for a playoff spot. And this is another team that I think it's got to be hard to be a fan of this team. Every year, they are so close, and they're almost in it, and they just can't get it done. Well, uh, you know, as to your comment that they've got to be reeling, Vikings fans, perhaps some in the organization, have to be reeling from yesterday's loss. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. You don't ever want to be the team that loses to the team that has yet to win. I mean, you don't want to be that loss. As to your point about the way the Lions fans reacted, um, you know, we saw the way they reacted on the field after Jared Goff threw that touchdown with no time remaining. And they, we saw the on-field reaction. We then later were able to see the video of the locker room and the reaction in there. I tweeted at the moment of that on-field reaction that, you know, for anyone who questions whether those players of a previously winless team still care mm -hmm. and still want to win, just look at this video because when you saw the reaction of Lions players, no one can question how much they care about winning. No, no one can question whether their heart is still in it. No one can question whether or not they're still trying to win. They care. Their heart is in it. They want to win. And I, I got goosebumps watching that reaction of Lions players. 
And I'll say to fans, not to like get on a soapbox, but I think, you know, you've obviously been around a lot of football teams. I'm around football teams every week. These guys put their bodies, their health on the line. They want to win. You know, the fans that tweet, one of my great pet peeves in life is calling another human being trash before the way they play in a football game. Um, there are trash human beings for many reasons. How they play in a football game is not it. And that's like beautifully stated. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but oh, you just okay. stated, you stated that magnificently. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's something I feel like very strongly about. And I think you just have to, and I say it's not you, the universal you, you know, has to remember that they want to win too. And the guy who misses, drops the ball, who misses the block, et cetera, et cetera, he doesn't feel great about it either. So I just encourage people to remember that. Well, I thank you for doing that. I love that you did that. I love your passion for that. And I agree with you entirely. These men do care and they want to win. And when they don't contribute to a win or stated differently, when something they do um, is instrumental in you know, keeping them from winning, they hurt. Look, I was in the league for almost 30 years. I remember incidents of men crying after games. And I'm not being, you know, this, that's not an overstatement. They were actually crying because they believe they let their teammates, they let their team, they let the fans down. Men were crushed by it. And the other thing is, again, having been in the league all of those years and wanting nothing more than for our team to win, I also did keep it in perspective. And this goes to your point about the condemnation. You know, you referenced fans referencing people as trash. And you're right, there are people that may deservedly be referenced as such, but it has nothing to do with winning or losing a football game. Let's keep it in perspective. And I think it's fair for me to say that because having been in the league for almost 30 years and having wanted nothing more than to win football games, with respect to my years and, you know, with it during those years, I also kept it in perspective. That was also beautifully said. And I think important. And, and I'm glad that we're talking about this because I do think it's an important thing and we all get, you know, emotional and that's part of being a fan and, and we all get wrapped up in it. But I just think it's really important to, to remember that. And no one's coming to your, again, the universal you, your law firm, your doctor's office, your accountant's office, the store where you're bagging groceries, whatever it is you do, People are not walking in and telling you you're trash. So that's something to remember as well. It is right. their job. Uh, but I would like to talk about a team that talk about feel good. Um, I'm a big fan of their coach. And I imagine you probably are too. The Washington football team. Look at I, them. I am a big fan of Ron Rivera and of his wife, Stephanie Rivera. We share our Cal Berkeley connection. Go Bears. And, uh, it's <laughs> Go Bears. And, uh, and by the way, I wanted to do this earlier, but didn't want to interrupt you when you were speaking to it. Congratulations on Michigan. <laughs> and um, look, I, I, I don't need to tell you this, but down here in Los Angeles, I, I see more Michigan gear in Los Angeles than I see USC and UCLA gear combined. Um, there is a very, very strong Michigan base here in Los Angeles. And I have many, many, many dear friends, both personal and professional who attended. Congratulations. And by the way, I'm a big Jim Harbaugh fan. I had the pleasure of working with him for a few years when he was with the Raiders. 
And I was thrilled for Jim and thrilled for all my Michigan fans, thrilled for you. And what he did, what he did um, with saying that any playoff, um, uh, not playoff, any bowl bonuses, that he was dedicating them to others in the Michigan program who had to take pay cuts during the pandemic. Good for him. And I hope a lot of other coaches will follow suit. And even if they're coaching for a college where people didn't take pay cuts. There are many who um, have been harmed in those communities by the pandemic and otherwise. And I think what Jim did was just sensational leadership. I agree 1000% with everything that you've said. (laughs) Here's your Michigan shout out as to my Cal Berkeley connection with Ron and Stephanie. Um, I was a big fan of Ron's when he was at Cal, have followed his career through the league. And, you know, notwithstanding some views I have on the Washington football team itself, uh, I am am and shall always be a fan of Ron's and of Stephanie's wherever he may be. Um, Obviously, very, very hard loss for the Raiders and Raider fans yesterday. So I don't want any Raider fans who are listening to think I was rooting for Ron to win. Um, I was not. But I do root for Ron personally, um, and I root for his success in other regards. Didn't want to root, didn't root for him, didn't want him to win yesterday. But that was quite a win for the Washington football team. And what he has done to turn that team around since its rocky start is very, very impressive. And interesting, I'm just looking at, you know, the Washington football team is six and six, second in the NFC East. And they, with the 49ers loss and the Washington's win, they're now in the sixth seed. The Raiders are six and six, but it puts them at third in the AFC West and in the 10th seed for the playoffs. And it's so it just shows where that's another thing where your team is plays a big part. Oh, yeah. You can't control that. Oh, yeah, that's that's a great point. And be very interesting to see this there. You know, as to your earlier point about parity, I mean, look how many teams I think all but one NFC team is technically alive. And I say technically um, that's my own little disqualifier, because while mathematically, I believe all but one are alive. I don't really think all are alive, but mathematically they are. And I think going into yesterday, I I would have to look at the numbers after yesterday, but going into yesterday, all but three AFC teams were mathematically alive. That's a better word than technically, mathematically. I like that. Um, So it's coming down to the wire. And of course, this year, there's an extra wild card team in each conference. Yes. And that changes everything. And you know, it's funny with that. I've had mixed feelings about that. Like, is it now, does it take kind of the, some of the special away, but I changed my mind on that because to the earlier points about parody, it kind of makes it even more exciting because then for, especially for fans, because then every season there really is a chance. And once the playoffs starts, it's a clean slate. Everything starts over as far as I'm concerned. Yes. With a caveat. Okay. Home field advantage. Yes. And so, you know, and by the way, home field advantage has been waning over the last number of years, not simply just with the start of the pandemic, but even before then home field advantage is waning. And there's a number of different theories as to why, but home field advantage still can matter in the playoffs, even if it matters less than it used to. So I agree with you when the playoffs start, roll up your sleeve, get to work. Um, We have seen, I can recall two teams that have won it all starting as wildcard teams, the Raiders being the first, the mm-hmm. Packers. I don't know if there were more than the Raiders and the Packers, but the point being that you're right. Once you're in, go get it done. Well, and the home field advantage thing is interesting to me. And this is total. I have no evidence to this whatsoever. This is just a thought. Oh, I what have. the heck? <laughs> but, but who needs evidence? I mean, we live in a world where I can just say whatever I want. Um, but I, but I don't, this is not that controversial or that much of a hot take, but I think the biggest thing with home field advantage, especially in the playoffs is just the not having to travel. 
it's not even necessarily the fans. That's a big positive that can add momentum and uh, emotion to a game. But at the end of the day, if you're playing on Sunday and the following week, you're playing on Saturday and you have to travel across the country as opposed to just staying home. To me, that's the biggest part of home field advantage. Well, it's, it's an interesting point you make. And, um, you have the same perspective, um, given the connection with the 49ers as I had with the Raiders throughout all my years with the team, which is the perspective of a California team. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of teams that if you're in the Eastern, you know, if you're up on the North in the Northeast and you're the road team and, oh, gee, heck, you have to travel an hour. Or if you're in the middle of the country and maybe, okay, you have to travel two and a half hours, you full well know, as did I, that the travel from California to the East Coast is a lot different. Number one, it's, you know, five plus hours in the air, five to six hours in the air, depending on headwinds. And then the three-hour time difference. So I think that the travel impacts West Coast teams uh, differently than it does all teams. I agree. And I look, you know, a couple weeks, uh, December 23rd, the Niners play the Titans in Nashville. And that this is a team that's the Niners. That is, I mean, the Titans are also, but they think they have a little bit of a uh, stronger grasp on their playoff spot, but the Niners are a team that are fighting and they're going to be fighting and they'll be in Cincinnati this week. And then they have the Falcons. So who knows where they're going to be, you know, in in the next couple weeks, I think the Cincinnati game is going to be a tough one, but then they are flying for a Thursday night football game, you know, in the midst of this playoff hunt. And of course that impacts what day are you practicing? What all the things. Um, and it, and it does matter. And you're right. That will be a harder, that's much harder than if the Falcons were flying to Tennessee. All right. Now let me give you some hope. Okay. The Raiders played on Thanksgiving Thursday. And so the Raiders went into yesterday's game on a long week and they were at home. So they didn't have to travel. Washington played on a Sunday and did have to travel. So the Raiders had a long period of time between games with no travel. The Washington team had a lot less time with travel and they still found a way to win. So um, what, let me, let me quote dumb and dumber. So what I'm telling you is there's a chance. There's a chance. I appreciate that. But that's, and that's going back to our original conversation at the beginning for every fan. There's a chance you're saying there's right. a chance. I'm, there's I'm a chance. telling you there's a chance on any given like Monday, dumb Thursday, and dumb. Sunday, and at some point Saturday, there's a chance that your, right. team, your team can win. All right. I am going to make you, before we get to good goat, bad goat of the week, I'm going to make you do, I made Steve Weiss do it. I made Mike Silver do it. So I'm going to make you do it too. And I apologize. Can you give me your like way too early? I still think it's way too early, but your early Super Bowl prediction. Okay. A, I love Steve Weiss. B, I love Mike Silver. C, I want to wring your neck for this question. And I mean that in the most they, loving way. They felt the same way. I don't, I'm not, you know what? And, but see, as, as opposed to Steve and Mike, I went to law school. So I am simply going to say your honor objection calls for speculation. Okay. That's fine. I'm going to let you, I'm going to, I'm going to give that to you. It was also because I was going to say, I'm not doing one. Cause I have to, I've had to do them the last two weeks with them and I can't keep coming up with new, <laughs> new, uh, well, I, I, new. I, I do appreciate your accommodation and I would like to give a shout out for going to law school because never did I think that going to law school was going to give me valid grounds for objecting to your question and having you sustain my objection. Well, it's because I'm the daughter of a lawyer. There you go. So, you know, and, and I learned from him also how to plead my own cases. And please so, thank him for me. <laughs> I will. I'll make sure. And he went to Cal. He went to UCLA law school, but he went to Cal undergrad. So, you know, and so did my mom. That's where they met. 
Well, please thank them for me and tell them I love them because you just sustained my objection because of your dad. I will make sure to let them know. And um, I'm assuming they'll listen to this, I hope. But if not, I'll make sure. I'll make sure to let them know. Thanks, mom and dad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, All right. But what I cannot let you off the hook on, mainly because it's a new segment that I started last week with Mike. uh, And I think it's really fun. We are doing now on the Tracy Sandler show on, on this part of the week's this early, early week episode. I'm having a little trouble getting that out, but we're Tuesdays and Fridays. So this on the Tuesday episode, we're doing the good goat, bad goat of the week, because there was a time when if you were the goat of the game, that was not a positive. Now, if you're the goat, you're the greatest of all time. So I thought it would be fun. And I hope everyone agrees because we're doing this now. Uh, to have a good goat, bad goat of the week. We do it all in good fun. We're not calling anybody a trash human being, as you well know, Amy, but I just want our listeners to understand. Uh, But who we think our good goat, bad goat of the week is. Would you like to go first as my guest? I would love to. And I just want to let you know, as a tip of my cap to you and all the work you do with with respect to the 49ers and your NFC focus, I'm going to give you a good goat and I'm just to be clear, we mean goat of the day, meaning goat of the weekend, like yes. not greatest of all time, right? Nope. Just okay. I'm going to get. So, do you want my good goat first or my bad goat first? That is up to you. Guest choice. Okay. I will give you my good goat of the week. And I'm going to go NFC because you're the goat, Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. You know what? That pass with no time remaining. I'm giving myself goosebumps as I remember that <laughs> pass. And you know what? To continue to do that, you know, to play as he has, as hard as he had, they've had no success all season. Zero success. They had no wins. So here you are in the week 13, winless, the final play of the game. Zero time remaining. You win it or you lose it. That pass, Jared Goff, goat of the day yesterday. I mean, I, I like it. I like it a lot. Now, do you want to give your goat of the day, your good goat, and then I give my bad goat? Or do you yeah. want my bad goat first? Oh, let's do it that way. I like that idea. So my okay. good goat may be a little controversial. I use that term lightly, but it might be. And I'm actually going to give it to John Harbaugh. And I will tell you why. Because I think that was a gutsy call at the end listening to him explain why he decided to go for two instead of tie it. I, you know what? I appreciate the aggressiveness there and I'm going to give him a good goat for that. I'm sure Ravens fans would tell me I'm insane. I'm sure they would tell me they disagree wholeheartedly, but I have to respect a coach who chooses to be aggressive, who looks at what he has going on, who looks at his personnel and says, we're going for the win on this. So there's that. Okay, so I respect your analysis. I respect John Harbaugh. I respect your conclusion. I did not like the call. See, and this is I what, just this is I didn't like the call, but you but I was about to say, but this is the fun of football. You're right. Nobody's a trash human because they make a call you don't like or they don't effectuate a call. Um, I didn't agree with the call, but I sure as heck love your analysis. Thank you. Thank you very much. I don't know that I I don't even know that I necessarily agree with the call, but I respect his choice in making it, if that makes sense. But that being said, I also would say that if he looked at his personnel and felt like, you know, I mean, I think you got to give your team a chance, but I can respect it. And it was interesting because literally as he made that call and I was reading about on Twitter, the Niners were marching down the field 
and were potentially going to have to decide that themselves. They themselves, they did not score the touchdown, so it didn't matter. But it was kind of an interesting, and this, it may have skewed my thought process, but it was kind of interesting. Like he, he made that call as they were marching down the field. And I wondered, you know, what is Shanahan going to do? It didn't ultimately matter. So. Gotcha. Uh, It is, you know, pushing all your marbles to the middle of the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess is. all your coins. I guess I mixed up that metaphor. It's pushing yeah. your coins, doing something else with your model. Okay, my bad goat of the week. Yes. Um, I'm picking a coach. And again, out of respect for all you do with respect to the Niners and your NFC focus, I'm going to stick to the NFC. And so I pick a bad goat of the week of the NFC, and that is Coach Joe Judge. Mm. Let me give you an example from the game yesterday. The Giants had the ball, and here's what happened. Mike Glennon, 13-yard sack. Then the Giants took a timeout to avoid a delay of game penalty. And then Glennon took a seven-yard sack. So sack, timeout to avoid delay of game, sack, then another delay of game penalty, and now it's third and 33. Okay, that's bad enough. Third and 33, and they ran the ball for 13 yards. And I get it. People will say to me, well, Amy, they knew they weren't going to get the 33 yards. They ran the ball just to improve field position on that. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. You took a 13-yard sack. Then you had a timeout to avoid a delay of game penalty. Then you took a seven-yard sack. Then you took a delay of game penalty. And then you ran the ball for 13 yards on third and 33. So I'm going with Joe Judge. And, and, and I respect that decision for all the reasons you just said. And I feel like, unfortunately for Joe judge, he could be the bad goat of the week on any given Sunday. And I, I was, you know, thank you for taking the words out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well said. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, And apparently Cappy, my dog Cappy agrees wholeheartedly because she has chosen now to start barking. Um, which is funny because oftentimes when this was, when I used to have just a 49ers podcast, she used to bark every time I said the words Colin Kaepernick, which I thought was funny because she's named after him. So anyways, now she's just probably barking at someone walking by. But I love everything about this conversation. I love that she's barking. I love that she barks on cue. I love that you named her after Colin. I just love everything about this. And so, you know, since we're being very open and, and honest with your listeners as to our locations and that I'm sitting in a closet to give you better sound quality, I do want you to know I have cats in here with me. So this is, this is a very pet-friendly pod, guys. So she might be barking at the cats. She might be. She very well. But she just now might be like, wait a minute. Do I sense that? <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Um, my bad goat of the week is I'm going to give it to an entire football team. And I don't think anyone will be shocked at the football team who's going to get it. But I am going to give it to the San Francisco 49ers. And I feel comfortable doing it since Nick Bosa himself came into the press conference and said we blew it. And he's right. They blew it. And I think this was, this is a team who couldn't afford to blew it, blow it, <laughs> blow it, blow it, <laughs> <laughs> or any of the above. Um, I had said earlier in the week last week that I was, I was on the radio Saturday and I said, this team can't, there is no such thing as a trap game for a team that is fighting for one of the last two playoff spots for a team that dug themselves in a hole and they got trapped. And they let themselves do it. And there were circumstances around it. And that went to every, I mean, defense, offense, special teams, everyone deserved a hand in this loss. So I'm giving it to the entire team. I'm sorry, 49ers fans, but one must be honest. I recognize your logic. I respect your logic, but I'm going to give a glimmer of hope to 49er fans. Sometimes it's as much about a team or less about a team losing than a team winning. 
In other words, everything you just said is, of course, accurate and insightful. But if 49er fans want to shake it off and feel good, maybe saying, okay, maybe this wasn't as much about us finding a way to lose as running into that buzzsaw I referenced earlier and Seattle finding a way to win. Have that do as a pep talk. I think it was a lovely pep talk. My only only counterpoints are defense has a three and out and then gets fooled on a fake punt for touchdown, three turnovers and 10 penalties for 86 yards, three of which came at very key moments in the game. But which was, which was your very, very gracious way of just saying, Amy, I'd like to give you an A for effort, but F. (laughs) (laughs) No, not F. I'm going to give you an A for effort and an A for pep talk, because I think 49ers fans needed that. And, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo said they got to shake it off because the train is running and it's running right into Cincinnati and they have work to do. So, well, and, and by the way, that ain't going to be easy because Cincinnati is going to be coming in with a real chip on the shoulder and yikes. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be an easy one. Uh, well, with that in mind, sorry, 49ers fans, sorry we ended on that for you guys, but I'm sure everything will be fine. Go Niners! Um, with that, Amy, thank you for joining me. This was super fun, super insightful, um, and I just had a blast getting to talk to you. Well, I'm going to say something again, only I'm going to say it more clearly and more articulately than at the beginning. And I hope that you don't edit this out because you're very, um, very centered and humble and you may not feel comfortable including this but i hope you will i am such a fan of your work and the intelligence you bring to your insights and your analysis look there are a lot of hot take artists out there that either simply say things that are hot takes because that's the way they view the world or they do so because they want the um notoriety that goes with the excitement that goes with a hot take you are insightful your analysis terrific. You bring such intelligence to all that you do. And I have watched your career involved and I am rooting and cheering for your every success. And if you're not careful, I may write you in as a candidate for elected office. Um, you know, I used to have a background in politics. So let's, let's see, let's see what I can do. I'm all in. Okay. Uh, challenge accepted. I will help run that campaign. Fantastic. Thanks, Amy. I appreciate it. But thank you. I really really appreciate those kind words. And I think back to that first coffee we had when I was just starting out and how encouraging you were and how helpful. So I have to say that I obviously admire you so much and I'm such a fan. So that means a lot to me and I will not edit it out because that means so much to me. And I, well, and you referenced that first coffee. So I will add, uh, because I, I had this in mind as I was speaking when I met you and when we had that conversation, I thought very, very, very highly of you. I was impressed in every regard. But if you had told me at that moment that you would have achieved everything you have achieved, that you will have accomplished everything you've accomplished this quickly, I would have said, take a deep breath, maybe (laughs) slow your roll a little bit, but you are knocking it out of the park. And how do you like that for a baseball analogy? Oh, I love a good baseball analogy, especially since I'm not sure we're going to see baseball for quite a while. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, And if you guys like what you heard, and I'm sure that you did, I hope that you did, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Amy, where can everybody follow you? Everyone can follow me at Amy Trask, A-M-Y-T-R-A-S-K, on Twitter. I'm at Amy Trask fantastic and we will tag you in everything and with that everybody i'll talk to you later in the week bye all 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.